This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. On today's show, we recap and break down the numbers from Super Bowl 51. Now, with Sports Business Radio, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show dedicated to covering the business side of sports. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by the Sports PR Summit. It's coming up on May 23rd at the Players' Tribune. NCAA executive Oliver Luck, the father of Andrew, and ESPN features reporter Tom Rinaldi will sit down for featured conversations at the Sports PR Summit. Again, May 23rd at the Players' Tribune in New York. That's Derek Jeter's publishing company to reserve your spot. For this prestigious event, we limit it to 125 senior PR executives. Go to sportsprsummit.com. We've had some amazing speakers in the past. It's looking like it's going to be another great event. Go to sportsprsummit.com for more information. I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great, and congrats on the great lineup for the PR Summit. Thanks. I mean, that's awesome. I saw you tweet that out this week. I'm like, oh, that's great. Two great guests. Well, and so Oliver Luck, I mean, is really the number two executive at the NCAA now behind Mark Emmert. Um, He handles, you know, if there's going to be regulations put in place for or penalties put in place. You know, you look at a school like Baylor right now and what's going on there. Like he's in charge of so many things Mm -hmm. and he's got a diverse background. I mean, he played in the NFL. Right. He worked for the NFL and NFL Europe. He was the president and CEO of uh, a major league soccer club. So I like his breadth of experience. And the other thing, I I, honestly, that I like about him is he's just he's a pretty candid, Mm -hmm. realistic person. He's not one of these people that's going to get on stage and just give you talking points for an hour. And since we do our event in front of senior PR executives, they'd be able to see right through that. They'd be like, uh, yeah, I could have written those talking points. <laughs> yeah. And he's just reiterating what I would have written for him. But exactly. like, he's real. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to that. Tom Rinaldi, I think, and, and I said this in the press release, I think he's the best features reporter, the best storyteller in all of sports casting. I can't watch one of his stories on ESPN without having tears in my eyes at the yeah. end of the story. I mean... He is a phenomenal storyteller. So he's going to sit down with uh, Rick Buecher. They used to work together. Rick is now at Bleacher Report. He's my partner on the Sports PR Summit. Looking forward to that. But I can tell you this. Like, we still have some really big names to reveal. So these are great. Sure. Good, uh, you know, to hang on the marquee for now. But right. uh, we've got some really big names to come. And then Players' Tribune is going to do their own panel. And they brought in Isaiah Thomas last year and... Some other great athletes for their panel. So, sportsprsummit.com. Check that out. Griggs, we got to recap Super Bowl 51. Wild in so many ways, but let's start just with some, some raw numbers. So, the viewing audience, which a lot of people want to know, like, how many people tuned in? So, Nielsen says the average viewing audience was 111.3 million people. So, where does that stand in history? It was the fifth most watched program in TV history, and it trailed only one Super Bowl as the most watched in Fox history, according to the network. So, again, 111 million people average. Get this, Griggs. Lady Gaga, she had a bigger audience. More people tuned in average-wise to watch her 
then tuned in to watch the game. So she was right at about 117 million when the halftime show was on. What do you think of Lady Gaga? I think she was great. I mean, I love, I love her, uh, what she stands for. I love her, just her, you know, her, I'm trying to think of a word, just her spunk and just right. goes out and kills it. She doesn't care yeah. what people think. She doesn't care anything. She just goes and does it. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. And you're right. It's funny because I had my wife and we had some friends over, two women. The only part they wanted me to pause the DVR right. was, wait for the halftime show. i right. got to watch the whole halftime show. Exactly. So there's two more viewers that couldn't care less about the game, but watch the halftime show. Well, so I tweeted out something interesting, and, and I'm going to stand behind this because I have a very good friend who is in the record industry. For years, it's been mentioned that the NFL was asking these music artists to pay to perform at halftime because the way the NFL looks at it is we are giving you an enormous platform. Again, you know, 100 million plus viewing audience. This is going to help your record sales, your downloads, all this kind of stuff. So you should be paying us. Well, the music artists, according to my friends in the music industry, have balked at this and they have said, you know what? I'm Katy Perry, or I'm Coldplay, or I'm Beyonce, or whoever I am. I'm my own brand. I'm making your halftime better. I'm not paying you at all. And again, a few years ago, kind of the agreement was this will be a trade deal, so to speak. Right. Obviously, you know, the performer's going to get themselves there. They're going to pay for all the production. Uh, they're going to pay for those expenses around the halftime show. But they're not going to pay the NFL. The NFL is not going to pay them. Well, according to my friend who works in the music industry, who I trust, he told me that Lady Gaga's record label paid the NFL for this halftime show. So this is the first I've heard where an artist has said, you know what? I see the value of the halftime show. And if you look at it from Lady Gaga's record label standpoint, she's coming out with new music. She wants to promote it. They feel like, hey, you know, this is a great way. And the number I heard from my friend, a million dollars. So if I look at what companies were spending for an ad during the Super Bowl, which we'll get to in a minute, but $5.6 million for 30 seconds, a million dollars for her performance at the halftime and all the promotion that went with it, that seems like a great bargain to me. You know, she immediately the next day announced her tour dates. So this was a great launching pad for her. The record label saw great value in the visibility that she would get from performing at halftime. There were a lot of people that called this the greatest halftime performance ever. I'd say pump the brakes there. I'd say, let me tell my my young friends out there, the college students listening to this, Google Michael Jackson's halftime performance in 1993. There have been some other amazing ones. The technology and production that exists today – uh, is off the charts. I mean, you know, they had her, there's some TV magic. It looked like she was jumping into the stadium, but that was actually pre-recorded. Uh, there's some other things. I saw, you know, Katy Perry a few years ago in Arizona at the Super Bowl, and, you know, she's on these, uh, you know, what do you call them? Were they... Huge, like, was it an elephant she rode in on, too? That yeah, huge... but, but you're, like, hanging above oh, the yeah, stadium. Oh, yeah, 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 like, on wires. You know, you, on wires, yeah. yeah. And, and... I don't care who you are. You got to be pretty brave to do that. <laughs> yeah. You're you're not sending a stunt person to do that if right. you're Katy Perry or Lady Gaga. Right. So I give them a lot of credit. Lady Gaga is a great performer. Um, she can play several instruments. She has a classically trained voice. She used to be an opera singer. A lot of people don't know that. But so that was an interesting nugget around the halftime show is the NFL. I 
as far as I know, had not been paid by a performer before. Now Lady Gaga's record label said we saw the value and they paid the NFL. So halftime show got big numbers. The game itself got big numbers. Of course, the fourth quarter, Griggs, which at halftime it looked like people were going to start turning the TV off. And I actually heard those stories of people who just turned the game off at halftime. It was 28-3 to at one point, and they were like, you know what? I'm done with this thing. And then you start wondering at halftime, gosh, those people who bought ads in the third and fourth quarter and paid $5.6 million for the time, that's not looking like a very good buy right now. Well, lo and behold, Griggs, the Patriots mounted a historic comeback. And, you know, we can go into all that in a minute, but I will tell you, I said a few weeks ago on the show, like, I went to Las Vegas, and I sat in the Mirage Sportsbook. I had never been to Las Vegas for Super Bowl. And let me tell you what, I may never pick a better Super Bowl to go to and watch in a sportsbook than this one. First, I arrived in Las Vegas, and you go to the sportsbook, and I met with Jay Rude, who couldn't have been nicer, and oversees the MGM Sportsbook properties. And I would invite you to go to you know any of those. The MGM is great. The Mirage is great. Uh, Bellagio, they're all fantastic. But he gave me a behind-the-scenes tour, Greg. So it was really cool to see, like, all right, they have all these cameras, they have all these computers, they have all these games that are going on. Not just the Super Bowl, but you've got, you know, college basketball, you've got NBA, you've got NHL, and they are, like, setting second-half lines, they're watching how all the other lines are set. I mean, it was a real educational experience for me to see, like, how does that operation work? Because there are millions and millions and millions of dollars exchanging hands. Um, but I sat in the Mirage, and there were 285 prop bets. They give you, like, these sheets that have, like, 10 pages of, of all these bets on the Super Bowl. And my bet was I took the Patriots minus three. I took the parlay on the Patriots minus three and the over at 58. So at halftime, it's 28 to three, or at one point in the game, it's 28 to three. And I, I'm literally thinking, I'm going to rip up my, my ticket. And look, I'm not a huge gambler. I didn't put a ton of money down, but I put a little money down. It was more than five bucks, but you know, less than 500 bucks. Um, and the people around me in the sports book, the Atlanta fans and the people who had the under, which I would say was three quarters of the sports book that I was in, Atlanta and the under, they were loving life. They were chirping. They were calling Brady every name in the book. They thought this game was over. They wanted to take their ticket at halftime and, and take it up to the window and say, give me my money. I have never in my life, and I've watched a lot of sporting events, seeing the tide turn like I did in this game, and then to see the reactions of everyone who, who had Atlanta and who had the under 58, you would have thought that they were just literally robbed. And then the people like me who had the Patriots who thought I was out of the game at halftime, almost ripped up my ticket, thought there's no way this game is going over. Here's how smart the people in Vegas are, Griggs. The line before the kick, minus three, 58, okay? Do you know that coming down to the game, so the game goes into overtime at 28-28, okay? That's 56 for you mathematicians out there. If you think this game is going to end with someone kicking a field goal, 
and it's going to be 31-28, you're going to be right on the number, on the over, under, and you're going to be on the number with the spread at three. It is uncanny how Vegas is always right on the spread. The saving grace for the people like me who had the Patriots, minus three, which I would have pushed if they won on a field goal, and had the over, is the overtime rules. So, again, first time in NFL history, Super Bowl history, that a game has gone to overtime. So, by the way, Griggs, odds on that, 900 to 1 that the game was going to go into overtime, mainly because the 50 previous over or Super Bowls, none of them had gone to overtime. Can you imagine if you put like five bucks down that, and, and the Vegas wise guys, this is what they told me is every year it's big odds, but they put money down on that because it's like a guaranteed win in their mind. Again, 50 for 50 coming into this year. This was the year that they lost. And the result, because of the fact that in overtime, if you score a touchdown first, it ends the game. So the team who gets the ball first has incentive to go for a touchdown instead of just kicking a field goal because you want the game to be over. That's what happened. So 34-28, I win on the minus three and I win on the over. Scott Van Pelt on ESPN, I I like him a lot. He does something called bad beats. If you want to know what bad beats is, just watch his show or search the hashtag bad beats. It's basically when you put a bet down and someone throws in a three pointer at the end to, to beat you, uh, if you've gambled or this to me is the poster child for the baddest beat of all time. Because again, if you were an Atlanta person, or you had the under, you had this thing wrapped up. You thought there's no way. Griggs, there's eight minutes left in the game. It's 28 to 12. They've got to convert on two, two point conversions and then win the coin toss and win in overtime. And that's what they did. It was phenomenal. But the money that changed hands in the last 10, 15 minutes of that game, if you count overtime, phenomenal. Phenomenal. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah, I was jealous of you being in Vegas because, <clears throat> like you were saying, it, it is a machine. I mean, that Vegas is just wow. incredible. And it you is got unbelievable. See, you got to see more than I've ever seen. But uh, I've been there for, I think it was the Kentucky Derby or something. I was okay. in the sports book. And that was crazy. Right. I mean, it was cool. But Super Bowl, I can't imagine how insane it was. It's packed. Yeah. They, they were selling tickets for like... Usually, if you go to a sports book, you can just go sit down and you watch a game and you right, bet. Right. This was, I mean, it was like $250 <laughs> per seat to just to sit down and there, it was standing room only. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, my friends at the MGM were kind enough to get me and the person I was with a seat so we could sit down and watch, but it was unlike anything I've ever seen. Like I've been to Super Bowls. Yeah. I've been to two of the last three. This was at another level. <laughs> and when you consider, the money that was changing places. I mean, it's funny. At the end of the night, I go to cash my ticket. And this guy comes up to me, and he had had a few drinks. <laughs> and he was a Patriots fan. He's like, bro, I almost lit my ticket on fire at <laughs> halftime. I was so mad. Everyone that was yeah. walking up to the window, it was basically like a gift. Yeah, It, it was like, I should have never won this game mm-hmm. if I had the Patriots or I had the over. But somehow yeah, I crazy. did. And the other thing if it, this game had was everything. It had a pick six. Yep. So there were odds on a defensive score. It had a missed extra point. 
Okay, Gr- uh, Goskowski, mm-hmm. who has really gone downhill in the last year, missed an extra point. Um, it had the over on sacks. A lot of people thought, well, the over under was four and a half. They thought, oh, they're you know these two lines protect their quarterbacks really well. There were like ten and a half sacks in the game, yeah, so right. blew that proposition away. Again, an overtime for the first time. There were odds. The, the person I was with, I went up to the window at halftime and I said, what are the odds? on Patriots coming back and winning this thing. And they kind of just laughed. And mm. and but they did set odds and it was 10 to 1. Yeah. Huh. And the, my, the the only regret I have, I don't want to be greedy cuz <laughs> I won a game that I had no business winning. Right. Is I should have put some money down on the Patriots at halftime yeah. 10 to 1. Right. And I'm surprised the odds were only 10 to 1. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Cuz they were getting thumped. Yeah. Now, here's another stat that is really interesting. The average halftime for an NFL game Last 12 minutes mm. because of Lady Gaga and the Super Bowl, 29 minutes. Mm. It was an hour and eight minutes from the time that the Falcons offense was on the field in the second quarter to when they were on the field in the third quarter. Crazy. That is a lot of time. That is. It takes away some momentum. For sure. Now, again, there were so many things that Atlanta could have done to win this game, run the ball more. Uh, take the, they were running plays with 25 seconds left in the play clock. I mean, Matt Ryan mismanaged that game. Dan Quinn mismanaged that game. Yeah. People can say Kyle Shanahan miscalled that game. But the thing that was amazing to me, and again, watched so many sporting events in my life, the chain of events that had to take place, both on New England's side of the ball and Atlanta's side of the ball, for New England to even be in a position to come back and win that game, it, it, I mean, you could rattle off 50 things sure. that had to happen. And if one of those things doesn't happen, it's over. Yeah. They don't win the game. Right. And it, it was just amazing. But the one thing I will say to me that just overpowers everything else, Tom Brady never quit. You can say whatever you want about Tom Brady. You can say, oh, he's pompous, or I don't like him because he's married to a supermodel, or he's a cheater. Whatever. You know what? Tom Brady never quit. His team was down 25 points. Do you know how easy it would have been for him to quit? And he didn't. And the poise he showed leading that comeback, if that doesn't secure his place as, if not the greatest quarterback of all time, certainly in the top two or three, I don't know what does. He's got five rings now. I thought, okay, so I'm a, I'm a, you know, person with a PR background. He could have done so many things. He shook Roger Goodell's hand. He didn't, you know, go into anything about, oh yeah, screw you, NFL. I'm on top now after Deflate Gator. I have my moment that he was classy. Bill Belichick was classy. Robert Kraft had a few words, but was still classy. And I thought how he handled everything was really uh, amazing because he went through a lot. The Patriots went through a lot. There was a lot of expense around Deflategate. I mean, it would have been easy to be bitter and to get up there and use that platform and that stage to say, ha ha, I have the last laugh, NFL and Roger Goodell. But he didn't and he took the high road. And I think that's a lesson to everyone out there. This is Tom friggin' Brady. He could have easily come down on Goodell in the NFL, he took the high road. Long-term thinking 
It's the way to go, Griggs. And he was even joking about his jersey being on eBay. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, his jersey got stolen. I and mean, they're, you know, they're saying for like a run of the mill 2014 Super Bowl jersey, that thing went for $57,000. So imagine this historic game, his fifth Super Bowl, more than any other player who's ever played in the NFL. That thing's going for a hundred grand at least. Oh, yeah, yeah. And someone took it out of his bag. Crazy. Um, I love the shirt that uh, the defensive coordinator for the Patriots, uh, Patricia is his last name. Um, they're getting off the plane in New England, and it's a big T-shirt that's got Roger Goodell's face, and he looks like Bozo the Clown. <laughs> and he's wearing that as he gets off the plane. <laughs> I didn't see that. So the thing that was interesting is no one came out and took direct shots at Goodell. Right. But there were subtle. Yeah, little, subtle little hits. Yeah, Kraft had some <laughs> subtle hints. Yeah. Um, as awkward as the trophy presentation was on Sunday night, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was even more awkward on Monday morning when Roger Goodell had to present Tom Brady with the MVP trophy. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick was there. So again, you've got these three together. Interestingly enough, again, I was at the 2014 uh, Arizona Super Bowl and, and worked that. So I was right next to Brady and Goodell and Brady, and Belichick, and Goodell at that Super Bowl. And that's just when Deflategate was breaking, right? And what are the penalties going to be? So that was awkward, too, because it's like, here you are on stage, the Patriots won, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was just the beginning of what Deflategate was going to be. Now we kind of saw the the end. But, um, you know, just an amazing Super Bowl, really great viewing audience. Some other numbers. Fox made approximately $509 million from the commercials during the game. And again, they even got to bonus. So there were some companies, I guess the way it worked is, you know, you've got this waiting list of advertisers who wanted to get into the game, but couldn't. So, okay, Fox says, if we happen to have overtime, we'll put your spot in. Well, there's overtime. So they had inventory and overtime too. And again, $5.6 million for a 30-second spot. And Griggs, you know, we've been doing this show since 2004 now. Remember when someone does a Super Bowl spot, you're paying for that ad time, but you're paying probably at least half of that amount, if not more, to produce the commercial. So all in, I mean, you're looking at probably close to $10 million. If you're T-Mobile and you've had to pay Justin Bieber and Rob Gronkowski to be in your commercial, they're not doing it for cheap. Uh, I thought, and, and the ad meter agreed, I tweeted it out before the Super Bowl, uh, Melissa McCarthy's ad for Kia, the eco car. You know, if she was an eco warrior, that was voted by most people as the, the best commercial. And Griggs, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but for most people, they don't remember the brands and they don't go out and buy the brand that they saw during the Super Bowl the next day. So one of the rules of thumb I have with the Super Bowl commercial is, okay, you remember all the stars and celebrities and music. Do you remember what the product was? Because if you don't remember what the product is, it totally defeats the purpose of running the spot. And with the Kia car with Melissa McCarthy, and it was an eco car, I remembered the product very clearly at the end of the commercial. There were many other commercials 
I couldn't tell you what the product was, and you know that's a that's a miss. I think you're right, and I, I mean I work I'm a radio guy. That's what I do all day long is create commercials, and that's the point. You got people have to remember right. what you're talking about. Yeah, and you're right. Other than her spot, I mean I like the uh, there was a Cam Newton one where he was, he came in and played as a football. So Buick. Okay, I, I could remember the car. See, I mean I remember Cam throwing the dart and knocking the yeah. kid in the end zone. Right, but I couldn't remember the the car. And it's like there's so many of those where you remember the star because so many every commercial basically has a star in it now. Right, so it's like you remember who's in it, but you don't remember what they're talking about. So the person who had the easiest job of all, Justin Timberlake. Yeah, and that I don't even know what the, I seriously don't know what the product was. Was yeah. it a drink? I think it was. Was a it drink, the most yeah. interesting man in the world? Yeah. Was it like he did, all he did was he was like dressed in a robe <laughs> and he just does like the cool stare. Yeah. And he he didn't even have a line in the commercial. Nope. And I'm like, how much did he just make? For just being in that commercial and, and, yeah. and not doing anything but sitting there and, and you know, looking like Justin Timberlake. Right. <laughs> um, there were a lot of movie commercials. So oh, movie yeah. trailers yeah. that were Big time. run during the Super Bowl, more than I remember in the past. Uh, some people like Toyota sat out the, the Super Bowl for the first time in a while. But the theme to me, Griggs, that really dominated the commercials was there were some political... Yeah. I mean, Anheuser-Busch and many others, basically, with what's going on in our world, and I'm not going to turn this into a political conversation, but let's just say that these spots had an air of being inclusive. And, uh, you know, the Anheuser-Busch one talked about how their founders were immigrants, and they came to America and started this company, and... So there were a number of spots that were done that addressed Coca-Cola was another one that did, you know, lots of different faces from around the world. And, you know, to me, I don't think those were done by accident. Those were done with a a certain tone in mind. And that was another dominating theme for the commercials that were run during this Super Bowl. The 84 Lumber one. A lot of controversy on that one where they made you go to the, go to the website to watch the end of it. Right. The website crashed, of course. Right. And it's a, it's like a three and a half minute little mini movie. And it's all about, I mean, it's totally political. The whole thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think, uh, that one I do remember because they, they, there's, you know, repercussions after the fact. It's been all over YouTube and everything else since, since the Super Bowl. Which, you know, again, is part of the Super Bowl ad strategy. You not only want that commercial to be seen by a big audience during the game, you have to activate it on your social platforms now. You have to activate it on YouTube. Part of it is you want a million views online on your YouTube channel, or you want the commercial to be shared virally through your social media platforms. So it used to be, you know, before social media, you just bought an ad. You prayed that people were tuning in at that specific time during the game to watch your ad. Now, if you didn't see it, you go to the website, you go to YouTube, you go to the Twitter feed, you go to the Facebook page. Like, There's so many different ways that these ads are activated now. So many teasers were run leading up to the game. Hey, here's a 15-second teaser of what the ad's going to be. Stay tuned on Super Bowl Sunday to see the full ad. So lots of different ways, but you know, the internet and social media has certainly changed how ads are packaged and how they're seen versus... 25 years ago when, you know, you wanted to see the the Nike commercial with Bugs Bunny and, and Michael Jordan and, you know, had to be watching during that exact time in the game yeah. 
to be able to see it. Plus, they do nowadays. They make so many different versions of the ad. I mean, you got fifteen second, you got a sixty, you got a right. three and a half minute movie version afterwards. Right. So after the fact, you get these. You know, they put these on the social media, and you get to see the whole thing, or you, you see more of it. And then you'll see it now. This year, you'll see little. You'll see. Oh, I saw that in the Super Bowl, but it was cut short, or it's fifteen seconds instead of the full minute, or whatever. So right. there's all these versions that they do, so they can you know they can live the life of them for a long time. Hopefully, let's talk about Houston. So a lot of people. Uh, experts said $350 million worth of economic impact to Houston around the Super Bowl. And as someone who worked on the Arizona Super Bowl, I can tell you, like, that's a legitimate number. Restaurants, hotels, airport, uh, so many people coming in and doing business, spending money in the Super Bowl city. But the other thing that is part of the, the legacy impact is there are new facilities that are built when your city hosts the Super Bowl whether it's improvements to the airport or to the roads or specific buildings that are built or parks or, you know, the NFL leaves some money behind for the schools. There's a legacy impact that doesn't get measured in that number. So bottom line, when you host a Super Bowl, it's worth a lot of money, but it's also part of the structure of the city going forward. And, uh, you know, I think Houston did a really nice job hosting this Super Bowl, there was good weather. Uh, I didn't hear any problems with hotels or traffic. You know, you remember Dallas Super Bowl. There was ice and people couldn't get around. And, you know, Jacksonville, there weren't enough hotel rooms. So people had to stay an hour away and drive in. Even last year in you had San Francisco that downtown had all of the activities and NFL stuff. But then you have to drive an hour at least to go to Levi Stadium. So the activities and the location of the game were an hour apart. This was much, much closer together, and it was a better setup from everyone I talked to, especially the media liked it more because you're not driving an hour from where you're spending all of your time during the week to go out to the game, and there's press conferences and things like that. So I think it's a good setup. I think Houston should absolutely be in the rotation for hosting Super Bowl. I think Houston, I think Phoenix— you could probably say Miami. Um, you know, the LA is going to get added to the mix once the new arena comes, or arena stadium comes on board that's going to host the Rams and now the Chargers. Um, it was interesting being in Vegas too, changing topics for just a minute. You know, now most people there, whether it's the sports books or the hotels or, you know, I was even talking to Uber drivers. They're pretty convinced the Raiders aren't coming there now. Like that $650 million went away from, uh, Adelson, the, the gambling tycoon. And, uh, they're pretty convinced that the Raiders aren't coming there now. So whereas they were really excited a month ago, the Raiders are, were going to come there. Now it is a long shot in their minds that the Raiders are going to come there. And I saw the new T-Mobile arena where the Golden Knights are going to play for the NHL. Really kind of oddly positioned, but, uh, you know, nice arena. Uh, I think parking is going to be a little bit of an issue, but, uh, you know, they're excited about NHL coming and, and having a major sport, a major league in their city. Um, wrapping up on, on Super Bowl. So we talked about the economic impact and we talked about my, my trip and the casino and, and things like that. Griggs, I went and, uh, saw, Michael Jackson won the Cirque du Soleil show at Mandalay Bay on Saturday night, so before Super Bowl Sunday. Holy cow. 
I mean, I know both of us like ourselves some MJ. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you forget how many hits he has. Right. This thing was phenomenal. First of all, the Cirque du Soleil dancers, I'll put them up against any athlete that you've ever seen. LeBron James, you give me your your most freakish athlete. (laughs) Let me show you a Cirque du Soleil athlete. Yeah. And and I'll put that athlete up against them. Now, maybe they can't shoot baskets and stuff, but just raw athleticism, holy cow. Yeah. It is off the charts. And then they had some dancers. They had this one guy that he looked like Michael Jackson reincarnated. (laughs) They even did some CGI Michael Jackson. So they're all dancing on stage, and then you've got CGI Michael dancing with them. (laughs) That's great. But Griggs, they're like climbing the walls. They're swinging from the ceilings. They are jumping on trampolines. It was amazing. And the way they sunk it up with all of his music and everything, and I know this show's been around for a little bit, but holy cow, if you're in Las Vegas, I cannot recommend that show highly enough to you. And if you like Michael Jackson's music like I do, wow. It's just, it was one of the best, uh, theater shows that I've seen. So. Yeah. The circus, they're just amazing. And you're right. They're, they are true athletes. I mean, the, the strength they have, the, oh the stuff God. they're doing, hanging and jumping and swinging, and it's insane. This one woman who had like the strongest legs I've ever seen <laughs> yeah. in my life, Basically starts coming down. She has her legs wrapped around this rope and goes down from the top of the ceiling and then goes back up again. And it's all, of course, with Crazy. the music and oh, choreographed. Yeah. And I'm like, I would fall down <laughs> and be dead in like, and, and then they have these people like doing these trampoline jumps yeah. and they're like jumping off the trampoline, bouncing off the side wall, mm-hmm. dancing and then like coming back up on the trampoline. It's nutty. It, it was unbelievable. And then they, we hit in Portland. We had the uh, the horse one. I think it's Odyssey or Odyssey or whatever it was. And uh, what they do with the animals is insane too. Wow, I mean, brilliant! These Horses these jumping an- off the ceiling. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> climbing down ropes. No, but still, even that, it's just amazing how they can choreograph and train, and it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, it, it was really an amazing show. So I would uh, I would highly suggest going to that. Um, what were some other things that struck you about? The Super Bowl, the game, the commercials, anything else uh, that caught your attention? I'm trying to think. It, I mean, it, it looks great. They do a great job. Fox did a great job. I thought. I mean, it just the, the camera angles they did. You know, they showed all their different fun cameras. I love the pylon cam. That the yeah. touchdown at the end, they yep. showed that. That was cool. So I think it was well presented on TV. It looked good. I think uh, Buck and Aikman did good. Um, I think it just the whole package. I was the commercials weren't like blown me away this year. Agree, but uh, you know there was there was some fun ones, but still not not my favorite year for commercials. But uh, Lady Gaga was awesome. I love her. I love her as an actress and a singer. She was awesome. So that was fun to watch. And uh, yeah, I think it was I mean, what a game. I mean, it, at halftime you're like, oh, this is kind of boring, and right. all of a sudden, hello, Tom yeah. Brady, look yeah. out! And it was fun. It was a fun game to watch. Unbelievable ending. Uh, turned out to be. You know, one of the most competitive games ever. And people can say, well, Atlanta lost it, and maybe they did. But still, it made for drama. I agree with you. I think Fox did a really nice job. Uh, you know, people give Joe Buck a hard time. I thought he had some great calls. Yeah, I think he's great. Uh, I love Aikman. I put Aikman in the same class as John Smoltz. I thought Smoltz made the World Series yeah. exponentially yeah. better because of his analysis. And I would put Troy Aikman in that same category. Yeah, I agree. Um their camera angles on the Julian Edelman catch, yeah. phenomenal. Yep. I mean, maybe now that catch supplants David Tyree as the catch I that you so. will see in Super Bowl history. And they had 
front angles, side angles, behind angles, and the other people who got that right are the refs. Yeah. Did you see the one ref run into the picture and he's like, yep. he was adamant that it was a catch yep. when the other refs who were closer to the play were kind of like, well, you know, and, and that's so important because mm-hmm. you saw that Dan Quinn challenged it. Right. They used their last time out on that challenge and they lost. So now when Matt Ryan gets the ball back with 52 seconds left after New England ties the game, they have to go down the field and try and get in field goal range with zero timeouts. Yeah. And all New England has to do is keep them from going out of bounds, mm-hmm. which they did, which they did and yeah. the game's over. So that timeout was a pivotal timeout. On the flip side, if they had called that an incomplete on the field, now Belichick has to challenge that, right? So right. he's risking potentially a timeout when his team needed timeouts there to continue that drive and go down and do what they did. James White is a guy that, you know, there's so many people in Super Bowl history where you never hear of them again, but boy, did they have an amazing Super Bowl. He's that guy for the Super Bowl. 10 catches, 114 yards. I think he had three touchdowns, two rushing, one receiving. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the guy, he he did everything. Um, And... You know, he got to go to Disneyland the next day. I love I, I, the thing I love about Brady too. He gets named MVP because he's Captain America. Of course, he's going to be MVP, and he deserved it. But what he does two years ago, he gives Malcolm Butler the car. Says, "Hey, this guy intercepted the ball at the end. He's the MVP. I'm giving him the car. Let's him go to Disneyland." And this time, he says to James White, "You go to Disneyland, and and you get the car." So, like, that's a pretty cool teammate. Sure. And not that, you know, Brady isn't swimming in money, and his wife is swimming in more money than he has, Giselle, so they're not hurting for cars or anything else. But as a teammate, you're kind of like, that's pretty cool that that Tom gives the guy the car, lets him go to Disneyland with his family. Like, it's a pretty neat deal as as part of, you know, the post-Super Bowl uh, marketing and commercials and things like that. And James White, you know, got to make the... The rounds doing media, and, and this is good for, for his career, just like it was for Malcolm Butler. The other thing that was an observation that I had, both after the game and then in the interviews I've seen since then, Belichick and Brady have always been like Popovich, right? The wall is up. They don't let you see very much. The emotions they showed after that game, Brady kneeling down at midfield and, and, you know, whether he was crying or just overcome with emotion. Obviously, his mom has been battling cancer. Um, you know, she hadn't been able to come to a game this year. His dad had only come to one game. All the deflate gate stuff that he had to endure this year and the four games that he missed. That's a lot of emotion and it seemed like it all came out, but he wasn't afraid to show that. Um, it reminded me, you know, several years ago when Dirk Nowitzki finally got his championship with the Mavericks and he won and he literally ran off the court and just went into the locker room and just fell on the ground and started crying and, and sobbed. And I don't think people understand. I understand it a little bit. I haven't played pro athletics at a high level, but I've been around it. The level of emotion that goes into these games, that goes into the preparation, that goes into a long season that culminates with that result, especially in that game with trailing 25 points to summon up what Tom Brady had to summon up and his teammates to win that game. Phenomenal. But that was another kind of takeaway for me is Belichick is showing emotion. 
Uh, Brady is showing emotion. And last but not least, how about a Gronk at the parade? Okay? You're Rob Gronkowski. You just had major back surgery. You're hanging off the side of these vehicles. You're biting into aluminum beer cans with your teeth. You're pouring the beer. Like, at what point do the Patriots go, probably not the best <laughs> idea for him to be part of these parades, especially right. when he's injured? Because he could get injured again or re-aggravate the injury. But this dude only knows one speed, and yeah. it is it is full speed. But, you know, not having him in that game, obviously made a difference, but, uh, you know, Gronkowski, it'll be interesting. The Patriots have some big decisions to make, you know, before this game and especially at halftime. How many tweets did I see? Well, this is Brady's last game with the Patriots. It's the Jimmy G era now. Then the game's over and, I, oh, Brady's going to play five more years. They're going to trade Jimmy G. They've got some decisions. Do you, you know, Gronkowski, do you keep him? He's hurt all the time. When he plays, he's one of the best there is. But he's hurt a lot. Do you continue to keep him on your roster? I can't imagine a scenario, especially now with five Super Bowls. And I know Bill Belichick has cut players in long time. This is Tom Brady. This is the player who's won more Super Bowls than anyone in the history of the NFL. Let's cool the chatter about the fact that they're going to, you know, turf Brady at some point and go with Jimmy G. I think they're probably going to trade Jimmy G because I think there is such a, a shortage at the quarterback position. If they can get a first rounder and maybe more than that for him, I think you have to trade him um, and improve your team in the meantime. I I don't see any way that they get rid of Brady. I just don't. you know. And, and I, I don't care that he's 39 years old. He's not playing like a 39-year-old. And I'm not saying you don't need a good quarterback to back him up, but this dude is not showing any sign of slowing down. And that's another thing, Griggs. You know, we've talked to a lot of athletes over the years on this show about fitness and conditioning and diet. And this guy is very underrated in that area. He has kept his, he doesn't drink. You know, he doesn't eat junk food. You're not going to see him eating fast food. And because of the way he has taken care of himself at 39 years old, Instead of people talking about he's in the twilight of his career, you can see the decline. You're like, holy cow, has this guy ever played better? I mean, 28 to 2 ratio in the regular season with touchdowns and, and interceptions. So uh, I don't see any decline with Brady. I think Robert Kraft, people can talk about Belichick and he cuts guys and gets rid of guys. This is one, Griggs, where if Belichick went to Kraft and said, you know what? The time has come. We're getting rid of Tom. We're going with Jimmy G. I think Kraft would say, Bill, I have let you make every call since you've been the coach, but I got to overrule you on this one. To see the relationship that Kraft and Brady have developed, especially, let's keep this in mind, and I'll, I'll end with Super Bowl talk on this. When Deflategate happened, remember, Robert Kraft issued a statement, and you know he basically said the Patriots would accept whatever penalty the NFL handled, handed out. That did not set well with Tom Brady in his camp at all. And there was a divide there. And Brady didn't understand why his team wouldn't back him. Why aren't you going to bat for me? And then you remember that Kraft came out and said, you know what? I got this wrong. I'm backing Tom Brady. The Patriots, you know, helped pay legal expenses. They fought things with the league. Like they really backed him. And as part of that process, Brady and Kraft became even closer. 
Brady is like a son to Robert Kraft. He may not be a son to Bill Belichick, but he is a son to Robert Kraft. And there's no way that I would ever see Robert Kraft with everything that Brady has done for that organization just saying, you know what, we're cutting you loose and you're going to go finish the career with the you know, 49ers or the Cleveland Browns or, or someone like that. I just don't see him ending his career with anyone other than the Patriots. And I know people, oh, happened to Peyton Manning. It happened to Joe Namath. It happened to Johnny Unitas. I think this is different. Again, you're talking about the guy with more Super Bowl rings than any player who's ever played in the NFL. Do you agree? 100%. I don't think, I think, yeah, it's going to be a Derek Jeter moment. It's going to be all the way to the end. Yeah. And that's like, you know what, Griggs, that's a great comparison. That is a great comparison because at the end of Jeter's career, the Yankees could have easily said, you know what, we're not going to pay you for, you know, what you've done over the course of your career. We're going to pay you for who you are now and, and you're in decline and, and go play somewhere else. And how awkward would it have been if you saw Jeter in anything other than pinstripes? But they all came to an agreement and he finished his career there. And I thought, you know, the Yankees won, Jeter won. And that's a great comparison. I, I really can't envision Brady in anything other than Patriots uniform. And I think for the fan base and the legacy of that organization, they need him to finish his career in a Patriots uniform. All right. When we come back, we'll wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. We'll put a bow on it and give you some final thoughts. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Sports Business Radio is sponsored by Boingo Wireless, the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. Today's sports fans expect strong, fast mobile connections at their favorite stadiums. Research shows that fans will leave at halftime if they cannot get connected, which is part of the reason why professional and collegiate sports venues alike work with Boingo to manage their wireless networks. As the world's leading connectivity expert, Boingo knows how to make a venue's vision for the connected fan experience a reality. They are the only company that can provide end-to-end wireless service so teams can focus on the big game, not on their network. Boingo designs, installs, and manages Wi-Fi and cellular networks at university stadiums like K-State and the University of Houston and major league venues like Soldier Field, Phillips Arena, and Vivint Smart Home Arena. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports, led by companies like Boingo. Boingo connects you to the people and things you love, like sports. For more information, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks to our staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to our friends at Tagboard for providing the social media visualizations for our Sports Business Radio Roadshow events. Follow them online at tagboard.com or on Twitter at Tagboard. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news and podcasts. And you can go to sportsbusinessradio.com. All of our shows dating back to 2004, lots of them, 300 plus shows on 
our sportsbusinessradio.com page. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named the top 50 sports business must follows on Twitter by Forbes for 2014, 2015, and 2016. We are proud of that. And finally, a thank you to Jay Rude, to Daniel Rush, and the people at MGM for hosting me uh, over Super Bowl weekend, giving me a behind-the-scenes tour. It was really fascinating stuff. Um, I love their properties. Uh, the sports book was great. And to getting to go, you know, behind the scenes there and kind of see how the, the big wagering takes place in Las Vegas at some of the biggest casinos, that was really fascinating to me. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. We'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio.